I want you to imagine for a moment a week where your life falls apart. Maybe this is something that you are going through, have been through, or will go through. You look at your finances and they're a mess. You look at your health and it's all over the place. Maybe loved ones are struggling. Perhaps your children are rebelling. Maybe there's upsets uh, with friends and family and church members. Maybe you look at your house and it's a state and you think of tomorrow and it just looks even worse. And you are just struggling to get through the day. Now, at that moment, when everything seems to be falling apart, there's a knock on your door. And you see through the kind of outline, the silhouette, it is somebody who you know is going to take up a lot of emotional energy. Somebody who themselves is struggling. Somebody who you know is going to take a lot out of you to talk to them and to be with them. How do you feel at that moment? Maybe it's something like this. I just can't. I can't deal with them now. Not with everything that's going on in my life. Not now. I can't help. It's just too much. Now, think for a moment what Jesus is going through. Jesus is about to uh, be uh, handed over to the authorities. In moments after this prayer that he's praying, uh, he's going to be taken away from his disciples, and his disciples are going to flee, his nearest and closest friends, leave him all alone. He's going to be put through a trial that is going to be so unfair and unjust. He's going to be beaten, beard plucked, spat on, mocked, stripped, humiliated, hanging on the cross, dying, with everybody laughing. Jesus was about to go through that. And on top of that, he was about to go through uh, this forsakenness by his father. His father was going to turn away, as it were, from him on the cross as he bore our punishment and he was about to face this who is jesus thinking about in these moments where does his mind turn well what a breathtaking thing to think verse 20 he says this as he's praying i don't just ask for those only that is the disciples he's just been praying for them but also for those who will believe in me through their word who is it that's believed in jesus through the word of the disciples through the bible he's talking about there that's you, that's me, that's us. Jesus, in these final moments, his mind turns to you and he prays for you. What an amazing thought. And something even more wonderful than that is this. Jesus didn't just pray for you once, thousands of years ago. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for you today, right now. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, Jesus prays for you. Now think about that, the Son of God, the all-knowing one, the all-wise one. He is praying for you. If you've been in this situation, I'm sure you have, you need to buy a present for somebody, okay? And this person, um, you don't know that well, and so you need to know, well, what do I get for them? What do I buy? Who do you ask? Well, you ask someone who knows them, don't you? You ask their nearest and dearest. You ask somebody who would, knows what they love, knows what they hate, knows what they need. And that person knows better than anyone else and can tell you, look, this is what they need. Jesus knows you better than anyone else. He knows everything that's going on in your life and not just the, the events, but he knows your heart in it as well. He knows your emotions. He knows everything about you and he is praying for you. Now, what does Jesus pray for you? What is his heart and his burden for you? What is his desire for you? What does he want you to know? See, that's what we get to hear this morning in these verses. 
So I pray that this morning we'd be excited to think, what does Jesus want me to know? What are his priorities for me? The one who knows me through and through. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning. It is great that you're here or listening online. It is great. And this is the, the truth. What Jesus prays for you could be true for you. For, what Jesus prays for believers could be true for you this morning if you put your trust in Jesus. You're listening in, and that's great. But it's not quite true for you yet if you're not trusting in him. So this morning, as you listen, this is what Jesus could be praying for you, could be supporting you, could be encouraging you in, in your life if you trust in him. And if you're a believer, well, these are four things that Jesus desires for you this morning. The first is this. He desires specific prayer. What does Jesus want for you? What's on his heart in these last moments? Specific prayer. I just wanted us to reflect for a moment because I don't want us to jump over this on what's happening here. The fact that Jesus is praying for you. As I said, verse 20, I don't ask for these only. Last week we saw he was praying specifically for the disciples and we could apply truths from that to us. But now he turns and he prays for those who will believe in me through their word. So the word of the disciples, the apostles, is what we have in the New Testament. And so we, we, how do we know about Jesus? We know through the Bible. That's the only way. And so we know because of the words of the disciples. So Jesus is praying for you. And as I said, it's not just in these, just thousands of years ago, this one time in these seven verses. This prayer has been called, and it's called, if you have the ESV version with the church uh, used, the high priestly prayer, it says in the subtitle there. And that's what it's been called over the centuries by the church. And the reason is because he's referring back to some, uh, a person in the Old Testament called the high priest. Now, what and who was the high priest? Well, just a very brief um, overview of who the high priest was to see what this means for us. In the Old Testament, the high priest was a big reminder to, God, of God, to God's people that God cared. The high priest in the Old Testament was a big reminder to God's people that he cared for them. So in the Old Testament, for a lot of it, the Israelites were in a campsite. And in the middle of the campsite was this tent called the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, it was broken into sections, but there was the Holy of Holies. And that was really where God said, that's my throne room. That is where I dwell in a special way. And nobody could go into the Holy of Holies on their own whenever they wanted. They just couldn't do that. They had to um, go on a special day in a special way that God said. And only one person could go in on that day, the Day of Atonement. That was the high priest. So as he went in, he would take a sacrifice. He would sprinkle blood around to show that sacrifice has been made for his sins and the sins of the people. And as he went into God's presence, he'd be wearing a special outfit. And this outfit wasn't just to look nice and smart. It was there to tell us things and tell God's people things. So one of the things he wore was a breastplate. And on this breastplate were 12 gemstones. And on these stones, why, why were there 12 stones? Well, there were 12 tribes of Israel. So in one sense, the people would look at this high priest. They would see him wearing this, this and they'd say, look, he's carrying me. I'm one of those stones. He's carrying me on his heart into the presence of God. That's what a high priest is. So God has said, look, I'm giving you my high priest to show me, show you I care about you. And so when they saw that, on that one day they'd say, I am being taken into the presence of God by this high priest. What a wonderful picture. And the New Testament tells us this. Jesus is our great high priest. He carries us on his heart uh, before the Father. 
and he prays for us. Hebrews tells us a lot about this. In Hebrews 6, it says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to pray, to intercede, to pray specific prayers for them. Jesus is our high priest. So when people looked on the high priest, they would think this, he's one of us. He struggles. I know he's, well, he's be, he goes through similar things to me. He's been where we are. And as he prays for us, they would think, he knows what it's like. When we look to Jesus, we can say the same. He's been where we are. He's been through the struggles and the trials and the storms of life. And so as he prays, we remember, yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And he has been here. He knows what it's like to struggle, to have doubts, to have temptations. And so when he prays for you, he understands. He knows what you're going through. Someone in heaven is praying for you now. And not just anyone, but the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're at the end of yourself this morning, struggling in whatever way. Don't know what to do. Jesus is praying for you. What an encouragement that is. Lift your eyes up to that. Think on that now. One theologian said this. It's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for you. Even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that he's presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that he prays for our protection against dangers of which we're not even conscious and against enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victorious in the end. Are you worried about this week? Not sure if you can make it? Remember, Jesus is praying for you. Remember, he brings your needs before the Father. Let that strengthen you in, in life. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Can you really live life on your own? How is that going? We can't do it. It's too big for us. That's why Jesus came to say, hand it over to me. Let me pray for you. Let me help you in this. Jesus offers us help this morning. Again, in Hebrews, listen to these words. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. A specific prayer this morning that Jesus wants to encourage us with. He prays for you. The second thing and the truth that's on his heart that, that his, he desires for us is supernatural unity. Look what Jesus prays. He says this three times. Verse 21, I pray that they may all be one. Verse 22, he prays the same, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be, become perfectly one. So Jesus is praying for believers who are going to trust in him after he returns to heaven. And he is praying that those who follow him would be united together. Not divided, but united. Now, over the years, Christians have taken those verses and said, right, so whatever happens, we need to be one. We need to be um, united together. Uh, and so if anybody calls themselves a Christian, then we have to join together and be united in this kind of organizational unity. That's how some people have interpreted this. But the problem with that is people have taken, um, taken any differences and put them aside 
in the name of unity. But as we look a bit closer, it's not as simple as just some organizational structure enforced on people. No, Jesus is saying something much deeper here, much, um, much more profound. You know, really, with enough organizational structure, you can organize and unify anybody with any beliefs. But here, Jesus is telling us that this is a supernatural unity. This isn't just an appearance of unity. It's deep and it's rich. See, first thing we see about this unity, it's a loving unity. How does Jesus say this is, uh, Christians are to be united? Well, look what he says. I, want, I pray, verse 21, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So he's basing the oneness of Christians on the, the love within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've been seeing throughout this passage. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons united together in love, um, the Trinity. And he's saying, I want them to be one like, like we're one. So if we all have the Spirit of God in us, if we're trusting in Jesus, then we are united. We are one. There is a deep unity here that we already have. But even though we already have it, he prays, verse 23, that we may become perfectly one. So we have it, but we can also work towards it. In the same way that a Christian is made perfect before God, righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done, but also we need to be sanctified. You know, we need to pray that God would change us to be made more like Jesus. So we have it, but we need to be made more like it as well. So it's something we can work on. So here is this. This is a deep unity, a, a loving unity. Verse 26 says, um, I, made known that to, sorry, I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So we know the love that God has for us, and we love other believers with the same love that God has loved us. It is deep. This isn't enforced organizational ticker box unity. This is deep, supernatural, loving unity. Not only that, but this would be a diverse unity as well. So Jesus is saying, look, I, I, I pray they love one another as I love you and you love me, Father, Jesus says. Father, Son, and Spirit are united together, but they also have different roles. So there's a unity, but there's a diversity as well. You know, the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends the church. You know, they have different roles. Uh, they are equal, but different. And that means as Christians, we're not enforced into like everybody must look the same or dress the same or um, do the same things all the time. No, no, no. It's not a uniformity, but a unity. And we need to be careful about that because it's very easy to say, no, you have to do this. You have to wear this. You have to look like this to be a Christian. No, no, there's unity, but there's diversity as well. This is uh, how one writer puts it. It's interesting to compare it to the other world religions. The center and majority of Islam's population is still in the place of its origin, the Middle East. The original lands that have been the demographic centers of Hinduism and Buddhism and Confucianism have remained so. By contrast, Christianity was first dominated by Jews and centered in Jerusalem. Later, it was dominated by Hellenists and centered in the Mediterranean. Later, that faith was received by barbarians of Northern Europe, and Christianity came to be dominated by Western Europeans, then North Americans. But today, most Christians in the world live in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. Christianity will soon be centered in the Southern and Eastern hemispheres. So Christianity's center just moves around. It, is, it goes everywhere, and it looks different. 
You go to a church in South America, it will look different to a church in Africa. Yes, there'll be similar truths, which we'll come to in a moment, but what does it mean to be a Christian in 21st century Latin America? It'll look different to what it does as an um, 18th century Christian in England. It'll look different culturally. And so what Christianity does is it changes from the inside out so the Christian looks and says, what does it mean to be a Christian in this culture? Not, right, I need, now need to look like this and do this and it'll look the same whatever century we're in. No, 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 it's, it's this diversity here. And that helps us as we think of unity. We're going to be different. But there's things we will be able to unite on. And when you read Revelation, what heaven will look like, Revelation 7, it says, there'll be, somebody, there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation praising and worshiping Jesus. Revelation 21 tells us all the kings of the earth will bring their glory. Different cultures, the best things of different cultures, all coming together. You know, there is diversity within the people of God. So it's a, it's a loving unity, a diverse unity, but also it's a truthful unity. Remember what Jesus says? I pray for these who will believe in me through their word. So this isn't a free-for-all, just be united however, one, however you want. No, no, no. It's based on the teachings of the Bible. It's based on the teachings of the apostles. So we need to say, well, what did they teach? And the truth of the Bible, there are some things in there that are clear, that are black and white. This is what the Bible teaches on this. This is what the Bible teaches on that. And there's, there's some things which we're going to hold with a closed fist. We're saying we're not budging on these. You know, there's lots of things we could say, like the authority of the Bible, the Trinity, Jesus' um, deity, the, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus, why Jesus died on the cross, all of those things are the things we're going to say we're not budging on them. We are holding to them. But there are other things that Christians might look at and they disagree on. And we can hold them with an open hand and say, this is what we believe and I'm firm in it, but I understand that other Christians might come to different conclusions on that. And so if we can agree with other believers on these truths, they might look very different to us, we have different preferences, but we can be united to them. So let's pray through that. Let's think, what does that look like? You know, let's have a, um, a welcoming spirit towards other believers if we hold on to these truths. So Jesus prays for Christians to be united together. Why? Well, look what he says. I pray that all, they all may be one with this love that we have so that the world may believe that you've sent me. There's a unity amongst Christians which is so different to anywhere else and anything else. So that when somebody who's not a Christian even comes into a church, they might notice, that's a strange group of people. <laughs> Why are they all together? They've got nothing in common. Well, that's good. We're diverse because Jesus saved us. So we're going to have different backgrounds, different um, upbringings, different preferences, different styles of clothing, tastes in music, all of these things coming together and we say, you know, the only thing in common is we have Jesus, but we have him and there is a deep, profound unity. That's why you can go to a church the other side of the world and even though things might be different, there is a, you, are, you know you're one with them, you're united with them. And that's why I'm sure you've heard that people will come into churches where they're true Christian, Bible-believing churches and they'll say, there's something different here. There's a unity here and that speaks volumes doesn't mean that we never fall out. doesn't mean that we don't upset each other. Of course not. We need to be open about that. But we love one another because God has first loved us. So, Jesus, what does he desire for us? What is he praying for? 
He is praying this specific prayer, be encouraged, he prays for you. He is praying for supernatural unity between believers based on the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. The third thing he prays this, this is what he wants you to know and grasp, stunning love. Now, as we've come to some of these verses in this passage, as I've read and prepared these messages, I've kind of stood back and thought, what can I do with that? That How can I explain that? That is just so amazing. And so I feel like I just can't get this across. So I'm praying that God by His Spirit would get something of these truths into our hearts this morning. Look at verse 23 with me. At the end of verse 23, he says this, I pray that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is saying, Father, you love these believers with the same love that you have for me. Now, this is just mind-blowing, really. As you look around this room today, we pray that, you know, we, we love one another. We, we, we do that. But as we look around, there'll be people you know better than others, people who you go further back with, who you've been through different things with. And the further back you go with someone the deeper that love and that relationship is. That's true, isn't it? So, yes, we love one another, but there's some who you will say, well, we just went through that, or we've we've known each other for this long, and there is a depth of love there. When it comes to the love of the Father for the Son, how far back do they go? Look at verse 24. You loved me before the foundation of the world. There is never a time where the Father didn't love the Son. They've always loved one another in eternity past. They go far back. And there is a depth of love, a richness to that love, a security to that love, a love that is so firm and strong. It is certain. And we get glimpses of that love that the Father has for the Son in Jesus' life, don't we? Think of when Jesus baptised. He's baptized, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then the words come from heaven, this is my beloved son. He just can't help himself. I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. Or on Mount Transfiguration, again, the disciples are up there, and Jesus is there, and his glory is revealed in part to the disciples, and then the Father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You just get glimpses into what has been going on in eternity past in those moments. And here we are being told, you are loved with that love. The love that has always been. The love that always will be. And this is the love that sent Jesus to the cross. Remember the problem of this world. Why are we in the mess that we're in? Because we said to God, God, I'm going to put myself where you are. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the king. I don't need your help. I can do it on my own. And that's what we've done as a human race. We've, we've substituted ourselves for God. And so Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to take your place on the cross. And so Jesus says, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to substitute myself for you on the cross. And so Jesus on the cross took what we deserved for us, putting our place in, ourselves in God's place. We deserve to be forsaken. We deserve to be abandoned. We deserve to face the wrath and anger of God. That's what we deserve because we've ignored him. And Jesus says, I will take that on the cross. And then he says, amazingly, I will take your place. Now you take my place. 
you get what I deserve. You take uh, my position, as it were. You, you enjoy the love that I have earned. I have um, done and, 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 and obeyed my father fully. You get everything I've earned. You get the love and the acceptance and the warmth. We are loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son when we trust in Jesus. So when the Father looks at you this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you've come to him and said, that means if you've come to him and said, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've failed you. I've messed this up. Please forgive me. If you have done that, and if you're following Jesus, this is what the Father says to you this morning. This is my child who I love. With them I am well pleased. The same love the Father has for the Son. That means that God loves you. It means God cares for you. It means you're never going to be alone. It means that you're always certain of this love. You'll never wake up one day and think, does he love me today? You know, it's not like a flower, you know, you used to do when you were children. So he loves me, loves me not. He loves me, loves me not. Not like that with God. He loves you. Because it's the same love that the Father has for the Son. It means you matter deeply to him. It means that the love uh, that we have is not earned, that this is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. That's the love that we have from the Father. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, isn't that the love you long for? A love that isn't going to let you down and disappoint you. A love that isn't going to walk out on you. A love that is secure and firm. That's the love Jesus offers you today. His arms are open and he says, come. Whatever you've done, whatever your past, come. Let Jesus deal with your sin at the cross. Let's rejoice in that love today. If you haven't done that, turn to him today. If you have, enjoy that. Jesus wants you to know this stunning love. Specific prayer, he prays for you. Supernatural unity, be one. Stunning love. And the last thing is sustaining glory. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us to see his glory. He wants us, remember what we thought about glory, we saw that in verses 1 to 5. Now, glory is just being amazed at the greatness and power and wonder and beauty of Jesus, seeing him as he is in his exalted grandeur, you know, seeing Jesus in his wonder, seeing him as he is. So on, on the Mount Transfiguration, where he's with his disciples and, and his glory shines, there's something there, you see his glory revealed in part, but um, Jesus says, I want you to see it fully. Now, our reason for existing is to know and enjoy the glory of God. That's why we were made, to see God as he is, to enjoy him. And Jesus is praying, I want you to know your true purpose. I want you to know what it is to truly be human. I want you to know this deep joy and satisfaction that comes from seeing my glory. That is why nothing else, nothing else in life satisfies. That's why, as one writer says, we've got this God-shaped hole that nothing else fills. Enjoying the glory of God is what we're made for, which is huge and vast and glorious. So when we try and fill our lives with other things, it just doesn't touch it. You know, if you said, if I give you the challenge of filling the Grand Canyon with water, that's a big job. <laughs> if I said that, you know, you kind of would go and you'd get a bottle of water, or maybe you'd pour your two-litre bottle over the side, and it would just go. 
no difference at all. You know, we have this vast void in us, and we try and fill it with stuff, and it's just like pouring a bottle of water into the Grand Canyon. It just doesn't fill us. But Jesus said, you are made to know and enjoy my glory. That's the only thing that can fill us. And he says, one day I pray that you'll see it fully. The great thing is, God in his, in his, um, in his kindness and grace gives us tastes of that now as Christians, by his Spirit. Gives us moments where we experience something of the glory and the hugeness and the wonder of who Jesus is. And for those moments, we get a taste. Jesus wants you to know and see his glory. The Father has been enjoying the Son and glorying in the Son for eternity past. There's never been a time where he hasn't. And so maybe some might think, oh, well, that's, what are we, is that what we're going to do forever? Is just enjoy the glory of Jesus? When we get bored, we will never get bored. There will always be more to know and enjoy of him. Remember what Psalm 16 says, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you know you're going to see something beautiful, if you know you're going to see something glorious, it fills you with hope and excitement, doesn't it? One day I'm going to see this, I'm going to be there, I'm going to do this. Well, Jesus says, I pray that you'll know the greatest glory of all, which is seeing me in my glory. So let's pray that that hope would keep us going. Let's pray for him by, in his kindness to give us tastes of that glory along the way. What's the desire and heart that Jesus has for you? What does he want you to know? As we go through our deepest, darkest moments, Jesus turns, as Jesus goes through his deepest, darkest moments as well, his mind turns to you and he prays, Lord, help them to be one so the world will see who we are and what we're like. Help them to know this amazing love that you love me with and help them one day to see this glorious uh, vision of, of me as I am, what they were made to know and enjoy. Let's pray that that would help us this week to keep going. And if you haven't trusted, Jesus says again, come today and trust in me. We're going to sing a song in a moment, but let us just spend a few moments in silence reflecting on that and thinking something of these words that God would take these truths uh, and help us to live in the light of them today. So let's spend a few moments in silence and I'll, I'll close in prayer before we sing. Lord, some of these truths that uh, we see Jesus praying about in these uh, sentences that we've read are, are just glorious and wonderful and mind-blowing. We cannot grasp them without your help. Please, Lord, help us to think through these things, to meditate on these truths. And Lord, we pray our lives will be different as a result of them. Again, Lord, we pray for those here who might not yet know you or those listening in who might not yet know you. Would today be the time where they turn to you and trust in you and know that wonderful love that we've experienced. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.